episode. We talk about the Nine of Cups, wishes granted, dreams coming true, and getting that satisfaction with our friend, known to the world as the Oprah of Sex Coaches, Maisha Battle. Hey, glorious lovers of the tarot and all things witchy, a few announcements. Our last workshop of the season, Quest of Cups, in pursuit of your deepest heart's desire, is available now in the show notes. It's a 10-week course to help you deepen your knowledge of the tarot and, most importantly, figure out how to apply its lessons to your everyday life. We'll be working on finding your purpose, developing your intuition, calling more love into your life, improving your relationships, and cultivating emotional stability. Best part is, we're breaking it into super easy bite-sized pieces so you won't get overwhelmed. Anyone who can devote a half an hour a week to their tarot practice will be able to enjoy this workshop. And if you suddenly get super busy, You'll have the downloads forever, so you can take as long as you want with it. We'll be including spells, meditations, correspondences, altar strategies, journal prompts, videos where we can connect with each other, and more. At $111, these lessons will cost you less than $12 per week. And, good news for our subscribers at the $21 a month level, this workshop is included in the cost of your membership. That means this workshop alone will cover more than five months of your membership, and you'll keep getting our workshops and content throughout the year. We raise our cups to all of you. And a heads up to all you Italian witches, all you stregas out there, my book, Initiated, just came out in Italian. It's called Iniziata, translated by the brilliant feminist translator, Marty Giovanelli. See if you can safely grab a copy online somehow. And that goes for all you English-speaking witches too, because the book is readily available in English-speaking countries. And soon, thank you to all the Russian, Czech, and Polish witches out there who will be getting your translation soon. And to all of you, thank you for hunkering down for the pandemic, protecting the most vulnerable among us, and helping to end this thing as swiftly as possible by staying at home. What I wish, I wish upon this song As I sing it into being As I ask, I do embody All of the nine cups joyfully You're sitting on a beach in a radiant space golden with light Draped in your white silk robes and red frilly hat, you're feeling mighty fine. You've got your arms folded and your legs spread wide. Behind you, on a shelf draped with blue velvet, are nine golden cups. It's like you're the guardian of the prizes at a carnival. You're a genie making dreams come true. You are the keeper of the cups, and when you speak, you say... Your wish has been granted.
When you wish upon a star Makes no difference who you are Anything your heart desires Will come to you Yes, that is the theme song to this card. Okay, Carolyn's song is the real theme song to this card, but this is another good one. When you wish upon a star Everybody likes to get the Nine of Cups because it's known as the wish card. In other words, you hope for something, you say what you hope for out loud, or you visualize it or write it down, and it comes true. This card is literally about dreams fulfilled and about getting what you want. What is not to love about that? So in a bit, we're going to chat with Maisha Battle, sex coach, about practical applications of this card and how you listeners can get your satisfaction IRL. But for the moment, let's talk tarot, shall we? Okay, starting with the symbols of the card, let's talk cups. We're at card number nine in the season of the cups, so we should have a pretty good sense by now of what they mean. But for folks who'd like a review, the cups are the suit of enchantment. They're the suit of dreams, signifying the watery realms of emotion. Think rivers and rain and moonlit ocean nights. The cups are your holy grail, your sense of purpose. When they come up in a reading, the cups often signify relationship or ways of relating to the world. If we look at this card, we see that genie or merchant. To me, this dude in this card looks like a genie. There's something about his hats and his robes that reminds me of the Ottoman Empire, which ruled most of Eastern Europe and the Near East all the way down to Arabia for nearly 600 years. Some people say that he is a merchant, kind of like Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, and he can make all of your dreams come true. So be careful what you wish for. We see him wearing his red hat with like a fluffy rag on top of it, which signifies his strong will and ability to manifest what he's got in his mind. He's wearing these white robes, which make him feel sacred and pure. He is the grantor of wishes, as we've already said. He's someone who's able to get wealth without the permission of an authority. That's why some people call him the merchant. Let's think about that for a second. Rise of the merchant class and bourgeois culture, for better or worse, The rise of the merchant class in feudal Europe meant that less power was concentrated in the hands of the lords or the papal authorities, and more power was distributed. But merchant class rising is also given rise to plutocracy and corporate culture. My point with this, though, is in the tarot, everything is a spiral in a state of constant flux and evolution. We have abundance in this card in the Nine of Cups. And we get to enjoy that abundance. But if we stay here too long, if we rest on our laurels, it becomes decadence, hoarding the cakes, and out comes the guillotine. But for the most part, give yourself permission to indulge a little and enjoy this card when it comes up for you in a reading. 
One fun thing to try, which can really help you understand the essence of this card, and any card actually, is to physically put yourself in the position of the person who is in the card. So that would mean folding your arms and let's be honest, kind of manspreading like the guy in the card is doing. So just try that right now or whenever you get a chance and see how it feels to fold your arms in front of your chest and spread your legs. Just don't do this on a crowded subway. And I know that you probably won't be doing that right now because we can't get on crowded subways. I also wanted to talk to you about these blue drapes. The blue drapes signify abundance all around us, sumptuousness, but can also indicate an unwillingness to see the things swept behind the curtain. He's also sitting on a bench which of course represents stability, groundedness. I've also heard some people say that the bench isn't all that comfortable and you can't stay there long. So we're getting the message already that this card is very much about abundance, fulfillment, dreams come true, but it's also a place that isn't really built for long-term resting power, sitting in it. We have to kind of move through it. Last thing, as far as the symbolism of the card is concerned, we have the yellow background, which indicates an active mind or an awakening. So this isn't just something that we're sort of decadently lolling around in, feeding ourselves grapes with swirls of opium around our heads, but we're, that we're really awake and present for this uh, abundance as it's coming through the cups suit. Let's talk a little bit about numerology and astrology. This card corresponds to Jupiter in Pisces. And Pisces is the home of Jupiter. Jupiter is in its rulership, in its feminine rulership in Pisces. So Jupiter represents growth and expansion. And Pisces is spirituality or connectedness. So if we put this in a sentence, we might say that this card means the phrase, your love grows, or maybe it means something like an expanded sense of connectedness and contentment. Nines also, if we want to talk about numbers, let's talk numbers, shall we? Nines represent resolution. They come at the end of the cycle. Nine is when we get to the end, we're kind of wrapping things up or tying things up. And of course, cups represent our feelings. So we might just put this simply and say that the nine of cups represents resolved feelings or feelings coming to a conclusion, feelings wrapping up. Remember though, that this card comes after the eight and eights represent being in our mature form. When we've nailed it, we've got it, we know how this works and we're just doing the thing. Hard work, earned skills. But here in the nine, you get to enjoy some of the fruits of your labor, all that emotional labor that you're doing in the suit of cups because cups are all about emotions. Here in the nine, you get to really revel in it. Oh, ooh, you know what's interesting is that this card corresponds to the Hermit card because all nines fall under the aegis of the Hermit card since the Hermit card is number nine in the Major Arcana. But since this nine appears in the suit of cups, it's very much about emotional connectedness, which I understand that you might be going, hmm, how does that relate to the Hermit card? But what I love about it is that the Hermit is when we trust 
our own connection to the divine and seek out that connection. Hermit is all about trusting your own relationship to spirit and that you don't need an intermediary. And also when you're, you're in pursuit, you're on that quest for that connection and to really get quiet and be in it. So this is kind of a being in your feelings kind of a moment in this card. In tantric yoga, there's this concept of being in love with the universe or taking God as your lover or the goddess as your lover, which would be my preference. But one thing we do know is that emotional connectedness or contentedness, our ability to connect in satisfying way with another person is really contingent on our own ability to connect with ourselves and to stay in that internal core of well-being that internal core of centeredness and groundedness, because that self that we connect to, that is our true self in our core, is always curious and open and secure and able to set healthy boundaries. That self is not needy and avoidant, but is in the moment and is always responding from a place of secure attachment, which is why, even though the relationship to the hermit card might feel a little strange here, In fact, it makes a lot of sense because the Nine of Cups is saying, listen, you're an earned secure, as Tracy spoke of in our Two of Cups episode. You have earned this emotional security. You've gotten to a place with yourself where you can just be with someone and not have it be this kind of crisis roller coaster. Throughout the Suit of Cups, you pursue your sense of purpose, your connection with others. You celebrate, you grieve, you learn to walk away when necessary, and now you're here, happy, huzzah. But just if we wanna just kind of get into the basics of this card, like if you're giving somebody else a reading and you wanna know, ooh, what do I say? Just on a really basic level, this card is also known as happiness in the Thoth deck or the Lord of Material Happiness in the Hermetic Tarot. In general, it means things like good health, general well-being, emotional fulfillment, material abundance. I also totally think of this card as representing parties, dinner parties in particular, where there's an abundance of food and wine, but there needs to be something to fill all those cups. If the card comes up in a reading, and you're asking a yes or no question and you get the nine of cups right side up, it's a definite yes. If you get it in a love reading, it's saying you have reached the stage where you can have this really abundant, beautiful, loving connection with someone. Or if it's in the place, for instance, of hopes and fears, then it might be something like that you're pursuing or that you want, uh, that it's kind of a North Star for you to aim for. If you get it in a work reading, it suggests that you have a lot to offer, dear listener, and you might be giving a presentation or it might be a signal of abundance. Your cup is running over. It could also mean that it's time to get an assistant because you've just got so much going on. If it comes up as a reversal, if the Nine of Cups comes up as a reversal, it can indicate that you are overindulging. It might mean that you're extravagant which as we know can be good and bad. If you're if you're holding an extravagant birthday party for someone, it might be good because you're like celebrating them and saying how great they are and how important they are to you. On the other hand, 
if you're really extravagant and spending all your money and you then get kicked out of your apartment or something, not so good. Also, you might notice, I always think this, because I know that the card is, you know, it means happiness and abundance and all those good things. But when I look at the Rider White Coleman Smith version of the deck and I see this merchant genie sitting there, I always feel like there is a sense of smugness in this genie. He's like, ha, I've got it and you want it. So there can be a smugness that comes along with this card. It can also mean, of course, this is implied by the smugness, is that you're withholding patronage. You're not giving that health or support. You know, it comes up reversed. You know, somebody might be withholding that patronage from you or not giving you the support that you need, or you might be not really showing up for other people. In other words, you're like complacent or you're just kind of expecting things to happen without much effort on your part. One thing that I think is interesting, Mary Kate Greer talks about this a lot, is, you know, those, those curtains at the back of the card. She talks about what is hidden being exposed. If you get a reversal of this card, the things that are behind that curtain will come out. But because this is, in general, such a good card, even when whatever gets exposed gets exposed, like you get exposed as a smug, complacent jerk, for instance. It's good. It ultimately works out for the best for you. So you you come to a new awareness about who you are, which goes very much along with that hermit card sensibility, right? Like you you awaken to who you truly are and you're shown the error of your ways. You know, so often we're certain that we're right, that our feelings are totally facts and that what we see and what we feel is true that there's just no other way of looking at it but when this card comes up in reversal we realize that there's all sorts of stuff going on behind the screen that we can't see and it actually opens up our eyes in a lot of ways and that can mean that we're able to get closer to people because we're able to see things maybe from a different point of view not from the one that we're used to looking at but we get to see what's going on beneath the surface Because sometimes being shown the ways that we got it wrong is, yes, totally uncomfortable and painful, but ultimately, in the case of this card at least, seeing that we're wrong is a good thing because we become more compassionate, more honest, more able to love. This card can also indicate parties gone wrong, like when it comes up in reversal, My friend David, for instance, just had a very big, beautiful birthday party, and there was even goats at that party. Somebody brought their pet goats. I wish I could have gone to that party, but it was thwarted by COVID. He had a special chef and everything, and he'd been planning it for months, so I'm giving a very special shout out to David. My favorite meaning for the reversals, though, with this card is really just about going beyond the surface. Going beyond the surface even of abundance or going beyond the surface of happiness, this card doesn't really have just an absolute negative. Even the reversal of this card is positive because it implies that we're going deeper into the truth of what happiness means for us. So for instance, like let's say it comes up in a reading and it comes up as a reversal and it comes up in the future, let's say, then it is probably indicating that, depending on the context of the cards around it, 
that you get what you want and you realize that what you really wanted was something deeper or something more than that, for instance, or you get what you want and you realize that that's not going to fulfill you in the way that you thought it was. But the good news about that, of course, is that then you can look for the thing that really will fulfill you and is truthful for you. I mean, I'm really thinking about that so much recently in relation to this COVID situation, spending so much time at home and being away from the people that I love and care about. And I spent, I'm spending all my time really working. And because I work so much in general, and I am kind of always focused on that and kind of always fretting and worrying about it on some levels or like aspiring or feeling like I need to work harder. It's really making me think about what is most important to me. And I think it's doing this for a lot of people, which is our connections to other people and showing up for the people who maybe don't have enough connection or support. And beyond just how it's affecting, you know, for instance, like me or you as individuals, I feel like it's also the nine of cups in reverse moment to some degree in our culture at large we're really being given the opportunity to see that what is behind that curtain of, you know, happiness that I feel like, especially in this kind of thing we're sold in commercials, you know, like you can be happy if you have this deodorant or you can be happy if you have this car or whatever. We're really being shown that we can't be happy as long as people are just treated like we can just throw them away or that there's nobody concerned for them that true happiness comes from our connections and our relationship with each other. And so things like prisons and kids in internment camps and people experiencing homelessness and all of that, it's just not acceptable because it means that we're not able to connect with each other. We're not able to feel safe being vulnerable. We're spending all our money on things that don't really matter and spending all our time and energy on things that don't really matter. And, and this experience is showing us all what does matter. And I hope it's going to really motivate us to bring it together in the way, shape and form of the Ten of Cups, which we're going to talk about next week. But in the meantime, let's hear from Maisha. Welcome back, listeners. It is time for me to introduce our special guest, Maisha Battle. Maisha runs a coaching biz called Sex for Life, LLC, which is home to her sex and dating coaching practice and her sex-positive podcast, Down for Whatever, which Carolyn and I both adore. She is all about helping people have more fulfilling and exciting sex lives, which she believes leads to better life in general. So welcome, Maisha. Thank you so much, Amanda, for having me. And obviously, Carolyn, sending much love to you. We are so excited to have you here. I think you're the perfect guest to have on for this card, which is the Nine of Cups, all about getting that satisfaction and getting what you want. But before mm -hmm. we go into that, sort of the questions that are are floating around around that and how we can really apply the messages of that card to our everyday life, I wanted to know like what you're up to. What are you doing right now? Are you involved in anything fun? Can we hear about it? We just want to feast our eyes on your lives a little bit. Yes. I mean, things here are are still 
cooking. I am happy that clients are still interested in prioritizing their sex lives, even though what that looks like might be a little bit different right now in this moment. But I'm, I'm so happy to be working directly one-on-one with clients. I also work with couples. I'm currently working on a book about sexual values, which we'll touch on a little bit later, called Fucking with Integrity, because I think that's really nice. important. <laughs> and it's funny because I host a Q&A every couple of weeks on Instagram, and I was really heartened that someone wrote in this past week to ask about how to maintain their dating life while COVID is happening, while there's this kind of separation. And in that interest, I am designing a co-video dating service that involves a bit of matchmaking and facilitating online dates for people. That is such a great idea. Thank you. I love yeah. that so much. Yeah. Well, I hope so, that a lot of our listeners sign up for that. Please do. Yeah, right now you can just email me at myesha at myeshabattle.com if you are interested and I'll send you an application um, so you can give me some information about what you're looking for so I can set you up with some online video dates. Well, I do think that now is a time where people are feeling very starved for physical affection. So right? I'm sure that that will be a hot ticket. Yeah, for sure. Well, so... Let's jump right into some of the questions that might be coming up for people around this card about getting what you want. My first question for you is about getting satisfaction. I mean, this card, the Nine of Cups, is all about feeling satisfied. What do you think creates satisfaction in a relationship and what gives us satisfaction sexually generally? Yeah, it's really interesting because my brain jumps immediately to a New York Times study which revealed that couples that were struggling in partnership, if their sex lives were intact, they could pretty much weather the normal bumps along the road. Where things get a lot more hectic is when their sex lives and their intimacy has been disrupted or that's less than satisfactory. And then everything else becomes more, you know, monumental when they encounter it. Well, I just think that's so true. Like in my own relationships, I've definitely noticed that if the sex is good, I'm willing to put up with it a lot more. Mm -hmm. Or I'm just willing to stick it out or try a lot harder. And when there's something off with the sex, especially if it goes on for a long period of time, it's really hard to find... I don't know, the initiative, the drive to make it to make it work. Right. I mean, we have a lot of like cultural terms to describe that feeling, right? Like dignitized is one. So you can like overlook somebody's fuckboy status if you're like really into the sex and you don't really <laughs> think about the way that they're treating you because it's okay, you know? And I think when you've chosen to partner with someone changes in the sex can indicate larger changes within the relationship dynamic too. I love Esther Perel for being a resource in helping people understand that it is quite normal to see changes in your sex life. And that's totally something that couples come to me to work on and it is surmountable, but there are definitely key elements to keeping 
the sex satisfactory or satisfying. And she does a great job of expressing how eroticism craves novelty and it's hard to create that with someone who you've sought stability from, someone who's there from day to day, who you might know the ins and outs of their bowel movements. <laughs> the last time they had a serious cold, you know, you were there to like make sure they were okay. It's just not not always a sexy time with someone who you've decided to life partner with. But at the same time, there's incredible intimacy there. So I think a lot of couples struggle with that dynamic of, well, we have intimacy in all of these other realms, but the sex just isn't coming as naturally as it used to. And that's completely natural, normal, albeit frustrating. Well, it's so interesting in the way that it applies to this card, the Nine of Cups, because one of the things that the Nine of Cups represents is satisfaction, like emotional satisfaction, physical satisfaction, material satisfaction. But there's a lot implied in this card, for instance, the fact that the genie merchant guy at the center of it is sitting on a bench that isn't that comfortable. And it kind of implies that this is a temporary state, that getting one satisfaction is not something that will necessarily always stay exactly in this place of abundance and plenty, but that it's a point that you move through and then move out of again. But I think most of us, certainly I, would like to stay in a state of satisfaction all the time, especially in relationships. It's not fun to be dissatisfied with your relationship, whether you're in one or you're not in one or, you know, to be dissatisfied with the sex that you're having in your relationship. So let's say that you're not satisfied. What should you do? Mm -hmm. I love that sort of digging into the temporal nature of satisfaction. And I think as a culture, we are sort of moving away from the notion that, you know, you find your one person and they, they are the destination. They're actually the catalyst for more change. And I think that when we think about relationships changing and allowing us to change and allowing ourselves to be truly relational within them, which by the way, this season has done such a great job of talking about all the aspects of relating. It's just been mind blowing. And I want to pause to thank you for everything that you've given. It's just, it's been really magical to listen along, but I think that we really can give ourselves some space to be in the dissatisfaction and mm. that space gives us information. So when I have client sessions, obviously resistance comes up. I say, you know, this is the thing that I think is going to propel you towards your goal. And if we meet the next time and they're like, yeah, Maisha didn't do that. There's still information there. So the why is just as an important part of the work why am I dissatisfied? What's missing here? What am I not getting? And I think that type of introspection comes from mature relating, that you understand that a person isn't there to provide that sense of stability all the time. Yes, they can you know, be that person that's consistent in your life, but it's really not their job to be the one to give you that sense of security, knowing that from day to day we change, our partners change, the way that we feel satisfied or not in relationship changes, we can give ourselves permission to sort of say, okay, well, the reason that I'm feeling dissatisfied is that, you know, we're still having sex, but like, there's not as much oral sex anymore. And I don't really know why that changed. Like that can give you the information you need to 
bridge the gap and to have the conversation. That all sounds really good. I love this idea of the conversation happening that leads us into deeper maturity in how we approach relationships because it's been my experience as I've gotten older that the more mature I am, the more mature my relationships are, the more interesting and rich they become, which is something that I think surprised me. You know, when I was younger, I thought it was all about, you know, hot sex, basically. But now mm-hmm. that I'm older, I think that sex gets hotter when there's more integrity and when people bring more of themselves to the relationship. But one thing I do remember from past relationships that I've had where the sex wasn't as great was that people like different things. So what if, for instance, one partner really loves oral sex and the other partner really doesn't? How would you negotiate something like that when, I don't know, is that as much about maturity and like showing up as a full adult as it is about personal preference? Okay, I think I'm going to get a little controversial here. (laughs) From my experience working with couples, there are fundamental discrepancies in what they want that make them incompatible lovers. And Mm. that's not going to change. I kind of want to let the people who need to hear that just hear that. I think that people can put a lot of work into connecting, into being there for their partner, into listening to what they want. But at the end of the day, if I don't want to eat your pussy, I don't want to eat your pussy. It's just not going to be something that I want to do that makes me feel like I'm in my whole erotic self. And it is going to be tougher to navigate the erotic energy between us when I know that there's something that you want from me that I don't want to give to you that I'm giving you reluctantly. Now, that's something that happens in partnership a lot where we find compromise and we give But in my experience, I think that sex is such a tricky area to enact that tendency. And I see it more with my female clients who are partnered with men. They are dissatisfied because they have been giving a type of sex that is of no interest to them. And they do it for, quote unquote, the interest of the relationship. But they're fucking miserable. And they come to Mm. me thinking there's something wrong with them. But there isn't. So so what do you do, though, in that situation? Like, I totally agree that, I mean, in the relationships that I've had where we were sexually incompatible, unfortunately, no matter how hard we worked on it, we we weren't really able to to make us compatible. But so are you saying then that if you're sexually incompatible with your partner, that that's it? You can't expect more? Or are you saying maybe you should open up the relationship or... Or, you know, is there a solution? Yeah, I think there are a wide variety of solutions, some of which include opening a relationship, sure, exploring different partners, maybe. Some of it involves adjusting your expectations of what sex looks like for the two of you. So I think we have a tendency to compare what we have currently sexually with what we had in the past. And if there's something that feels lacking, it's really hard to adjust to that new normal, that something might not be your partner's cup of tea, and that all of these other aspects of the relationship are so important to you, maybe way better than anything that anyone has ever given to you. So in those cases, 
yeah, it's probably better to reprioritize and decide whether or not what you have that has sustained the relationship on all of these other levels is enough to get you through. But I know for a lot of people for whom the sex is so important that that is the deciding factor. They hit a wall, there's just a vibe that's off, there's like a lack of chemistry, and in those cases, if they can't decide with each other, like, okay, well, every other aspect of the relationship is great and not, you know, this part of it isn't worth giving everything else up, then if they're not willing to say that, then they have to part ways. I mean, some tough choices there. I want to move on. Not be- I mean, I could talk about this subject <laughs> for the rest of the day, but the Nine of Cups is very much about asking for what you want and getting what you want, getting that satisfaction or, or sort of getting the thing that you've been longing for. I think sexually and just in relationships in general, even if they're not sexual relationships, sometimes we find it hard to ask for what we want. Maybe we're embarrassed or, or we don't know how to articulate it or, you know, there could be a whole host of reasons why we're not communicating what we want to the other person. I'm wondering if you have some tips for that or some thoughts about that idea of how to ask. Yes, this is something that's really common that I work with my clients on. Before I started coaching more regularly, I thought that this issue of not being able to feel confident asking for what you want would be more common in my feminine identified clients. But I find that it actually is something that we all carry with us across the gender spectrum because sex is such a hidden aspect of our lives and we aren't encouraged to talk openly about it. I wrote a piece about how it's the only subject that I feel like we give people kind of basic arithmetic, you know, multiplication and division. And then we ask people to solve calculus problems in real life. Like it doesn't make any sense that a lot of us aren't given the foundations and knowledge of introspection and encouragement that our bodies are this wealth of knowledge about what we want sexually So we fumble through and we think the person we're with knows something more than we do about ourselves. And it becomes difficult to see whether or not there's something wrong with you and the way that you're responding to what you're getting, or if there's something that your partners aren't able to see about what you need. I really try to encourage people to do that work of envisioning a sexuality, a sexual expression that feels uniquely like them. And it's not really something that people are encouraged to do. It feels weird. I have a sexual assessment that I have all my clients do. And most of the time they say it's the first time they've ever been asked any of the questions that I ask, but it's great for that. What are some of the questions? What are some of your early childhood memories of, um, you know, what your parents taught you about sex? How was sex talked mm-hmm. about in your home? Was it something that was hidden? I mean, these aren't, I, I don't guide people. I just sort of ask them generally, but most of the time it's like, you know, it was something that was never discussed, but then, you know, my parents gave me a condom, you know, one day out of the blue, or, you know, it wasn't discussed, but then 
I started dating someone and my mom asked me if I needed a pregnancy test or, or birth control, you know. We really don't encourage people to explore what might be good about sex. Instead, we focus our attention on making them feel like what they're doing is risky, scary, and has these very negative consequences, which it can, but that's not all. And for most of us, most of the time, it's for pleasure, it's safe, it's sane, it's consensual, and a lot of us just aren't given any tools to manage those perfectly normal situations. So I think that doing the work of thinking about when was sex good for me? And if it hasn't been good for you yet, can you envision a time in the future when sex will be good for you? And what are the elements that comprise that good sexual experience? If you can go back in your history and sort of place yourself in that moment of this was the best sex in my life, what was it like? The more specific you can get, the more you can tap into like even things like time of the year, the body type that you were with, down to specifics and particulars like the weight of them on you or your weight on them. Things like that are really crucial to understanding how to replicate those, those conditions in the future with partners or even with yourself. It takes a lot of thought and self-study that as a culture we haven't really prepared people for. But that's why I'm here. Hmm. Well, that, oh, that, that's so, that's so fascinating. It brings up so much for me. I mean, one of the things that I'm thinking about is how it's not just then about sex, going back to this idea of getting your satisfaction. You know, if I go back and think about times in my life when I was really satisfied or when I felt like things were really good or kind of, I had that like, yes, yes, yes. Oh God. Yes. Kind of moment in my life. It wasn't necessarily because I had the things that I'm trying to get now or the things that I'm working for now. We often think if we have more money or if we have more success or if we have more time or more this or more that, that we will have this happiness. But if I think back to the times in my life where I was really happy, you know, it was when I didn't have that much pressure on myself and I was someplace beautiful and maybe warm and could spend more time just kind of being present in my life. And I love that idea that you're speaking to of looking back on moments where you maybe did experience satisfaction sexually and arriving at what it was that made that such a hot moment. Though I also am thinking about how you know, some people find it easier. For instance, I was like this when I was younger, not so much now, but in my 20s, I was like this, where it was easier for me to have hot sex with with people that I didn't know very well or that I wasn't in a committed relationship with than it, than it was for me to have it with people that I was really close to because then I felt, um, I don't know, really nervous about attachment. I'm wondering if you could speak to that a little bit about how sometimes it's harder to have really good sex with someone that you're very committed to or for people who like there's kinds of sex that they want to have that they don't feel comfortable having in their committed partnerships or vice versa. Yes. The thing that comes to mind is a very dear friend of mine once told me that in partnership she felt too respected to have the kind of sex that she really wanted. 
<laughs> to right. be respected by her partner. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really common feeling, right? And yeah, I think that there's a vulnerability in both acts, the act of kind of connecting primally with someone who you don't know if you're going to see again. And that's sort of the peak of Esther Perel's notion of erotic novelty. You know, this is someone who, you know, maybe you have very little understanding of who they really are. You don't know their family dynamic or how their exes play into their lives. You know, you don't have that much information and there's a freedom in that and a freedom to be expressive and vulnerable in like the parts of your sexuality that are kind of core. And then there's also a vulnerability in emotionally connecting in an intimate way with someone who does know all those things about you and you them. And I think that some of the romantic feelings that come with that often overshadow the primal instinct And for me, as far as I'm concerned in my personal life and what I have learned about myself and what I strive for in partnership is that delicate balance of someone not being completely known to me, who I still have that primal sexual drive towards that I can develop that intimacy with over time. And that's for me, that's sort of my values set in action. And I think everybody will have different things that resonate with them from what I just described. There are certainly people who, for whom the experience of being emotionally connected actually takes precedence, and that's when they feel comfortable to be their full sexual selves. But it sounds like to me, there's almost like a door that closes when the intimacy of fully knowing or being known comes up for you. Is that right? Yeah, I guess... Yeah, when I, I mean when I was younger, I I found it easier to let go in situations where I didn't know the person. And I do still think to a certain degree being able to let go of control, to be able to trust someone that much is really challenging for me. But I'm interested in it and I think that you know just kind of relating it back to this card Where the idea is, you know, nines represent when you've come into your maturity. And in this case, it's emotional maturity because it's in the suit of cups. And your relationship to your emotional life or your intimate life is also very much about your relationship to yourself. And I think that that's really true sexually and in relationship as well as long-term partnerships or even just, you know, casual sexual encounters that when you really step into your sexuality or your emotional maturity that you're finding out about how you get pleasure or how you relate to eroticism or how you relate to intimacy instead of kind of closing yourself off to the experience or thinking that you have to perform a certain way. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? I do. And I think that what you just said is exactly why I think we need a larger conversation about sexual values. Because I'm someone for whom my values don't change based on the level of intimacy that I am engaged with with a person. 
And I think that we have, as a culture, robbed people of making hookups intimate and long-term partnership sexy, you know? (laughs) Um, Right. Yeah, I feel like when I was younger, I always thought that I had to choose. I'd either be with the exciting sex guy or the boring stable guy. Right. And those were my choices. I was like, fuck that. This is a dichotomy that doesn't explain me. I'm not a boring sex woman or a dependable woman. I am all of those things. And I think you're right. As you begin to understand yourself and your own complexities, then you get to tie that into, well, if I'm this fucking complex and I have all of these different needs that come forward in different ways for me at different times with different people, then there have to be other people out there like me who can understand me and who can provide the level of relating that I'm looking for. For me, that's when sexual values sort of jumped out as the answer because I call them sexual values, but it's a little bit of a sexifying of it. I think they're relationship values. I think they can be applied to the person who you meet on Tinder and never see again. You know, you still want to feel respected. You still want to be, you know, maybe your authentic self. You still want to be playful. Those are just examples of sexual values that a person might have. But you could also apply those to the person that you end up, you know, partnering with for a really long time. You could apply those values to as many partners as you have in your open relationship, but they're going to show up in different ways with different people. So I do think there's something to the kind of the more you know aspect of knowing yourself and being able to show up for partnership and ask for things that you know are going to satisfy you. Mm, yeah. I mean, I agree. I am excited in just, you know, again, relating it back to this card about, you know, emotional abundance, happiness, fulfillment, satisfaction, and so much of that, whether it's relationally, sexually, professionally, is so much about knowing yourself, knowing what you want, and being able to really be present with whatever feelings you're having around something and not be looking for something to fill that, like looking for satisfaction as an outside external thing that you're getting But that satisfaction actually comes from being able to stay present with yourself and have an authentic relationship to whatever is going on in that moment. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think satisfaction can come from understanding that you're not going to be satisfied also. (laughs) You know, like, I think, (laughs) I think that that is also part of knowing yourself and recognizing, you know, what are the moments where I'm going to get exactly what I want? And is this the situation I need to be hedging all my bets on? Or are there people, situations, experiences that I know intuitively because I've really sussed out what it is that I need to feel satisfied. I can be satisfied that I don't need, I I don't find it over here. And I can be satisfied that I don't find it over there because I know that it exists elsewhere, maybe in another time, maybe in another form. But I think that kind of summarizes like 
I have a client who recently reached what I call dating zen, and that's what that is. We can project and we can ask the universe and people will show up and we can go, uh, oh no, that's actually not for me. But then if you're very in tune in understanding your wants and needs and desires, when the person or people show up who ring all those bells for you for the right reasons, as we learn, not all of our bells <laughs> are uh, sounding off like this is a great match. They could be like, oh, you're repeating a pattern. Yeah. But, you know, when they sound off in a positive way for us, we can go deeper with those relationships because we can see that those people have the ability to satisfy most, if not all, of our needs. So again, it goes back to really listening to yourself and trusting your own internal knowledge and experience of what works for you and what doesn't, and then trusting that if you have an authentic desire, that it can be met, but Mm. that it's not necessarily personal if someone can't meet that and that you can accept that. Yes, yes, you got it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, so I want to, okay, so we need to start to wrap it up, but um, I like to end just giving some sort of practical tips and advice on how people can apply the card, how people can apply the deeper meanings and messages of the card or practical situations. I thought that I could give a few examples of things that people can do magically or you know, in their tarot practice. And then maybe you can give a few examples of things that people could do according to your, your sex therapist practice. Does that seem good? I love it. So a few things that you can do from a tarot or magic perspective is, you know, the nine of cups is a really great card to put on your altar. If you're working some aspirational magic, in other words, you have a wish that you want to come true, or if you're looking for a patron, it's a good card for your altar. If you're trying to bring in some of this energy, you can go to the spa, play, rest, go to the hot springs, of course, you know, once COVID has passed, or you can maybe, you know, if you're doing it at home, turn your bath into a spa, because this card really does favor soaking yourself in water, cleansing, bathing, putting that water over you, letting it nourish you, letting it nurture you. Another thing to do if you want to bring in the energy of this card, this satisfaction, is to throw a party, to be generous, to give thanks, to show your gratitude and to be in exchange. And even if we can't be together one-on-one, we can throw that Zoom party and, you know, set up a toast. Be grateful for the people in your life because that gratitude is a great way of calling in satisfaction the more we're aware of it. And finally, this card is very much about having all your dreams come true. So pay attention to your dreams, write them down, work with your dreams, do do some work to do lucid dreaming and see if you can't change things around in your dreams so that you do in fact get what you want. Great thing to do if you want to do some lucid dreaming is throughout the day, look at your hands and ask, am I dreaming? And then when you go to sleep, remind yourself that if you're dreaming, you will look at your hands and ask if I'm dreaming in the dream and that you might be able to wake up and lucid dream within that. Another good thing is to use mugwort tea around bedtime 
or in a sachet with lavender under your pillow. Mugwort is great for dreaming, but do be careful if you are pregnant or have any other concerns about your health. Mugwort is not always the best tea. So make sure you you research it before you do it just in case. So Maisha, what are your tips and tricks? Well, I love the practice of thought monitoring. I think that we sometimes are the biggest thwarters of our own desires or thoughts of what might satisfy us. So just really monitor when you're you know, when you are allowing yourself to daydream about partnership or your sexual relationship and what it could look like, I would say monitor whether or not you're telling yourself that's not possible. I'll never find somebody like that. That's, you know, I can't even imagine that that would happen for me and really try to flip the script on yourself because that's very, very (laughs) powerful magic. That sounds so great. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I do this with clients all the time. If you need to catch that voice and give them a name so that when they show up, you can be like, listen, Tanya, uh, we've had this conversation before. You don't know anything. (laughs) It's so true. But I mean, that's also true just about anything of like when you're thinking, oh, you know, I want to write a novel or, oh, I really want to get this promotion. And then if you immediately start thinking that's never going to happen. That's totally unrealistic. I mean, it's just great to catch that voice and to Mm -hmm. pay attention to what it's telling you. I think that's a a really great exercise so that we can start, you know, moving in a new direction. But I think you were going to say another thing. Another piece that you can take with you as a, as a task, I'm a coach, so I like to give people little tasks to do is uh, journaling about your future sexual self. If it's hard for you to know what it is that you want right now in this moment, it's really powerful to give yourself the space and the time to really dream. I love that, Amanda, you already brought up dreaming as as a powerful relation to this card, but allowing yourself space to dream about your future and what you want that to be will also give you powerful information for yourself but also information that you can then communicate to a current partner or a potential partner. So just sort of like putting it under the umbrella of like, I'm giving this some time to think about my ideal sexual self, my future sexual self. So you'll come up with a lot of good things from there too. And then I love an action item for anybody who's in partnership, who's been sitting on a desire, just ask. It's really hard, but... It's so fucking rewarding. It is the best to be able to ask and receive exactly what you want. So try it. Yes. Uh, I want to go try all of those things right now. (laughs) I really do want to try that. I love the idea of writing about my future sexual self and just dreaming about who that might be. She's amazing. I already know. (laughs) (laughs) For yourself or for me? For you. Great. I'm going to, when, when we finish this conversation, I'm going to be like, tell me all about that woman. <laughs> but um, yeah. And then too, I, uh, I really love that idea about asking for what you want. I mean, mm-hmm. what, like, what's the harm? Let's try it. Let's all get what we need. I love it so mm-hmm. much. Anyway, thank you so much, Maisha. So tell us, you know, I think probably everybody's thinking I need to sign up for some work with that woman. So Mm, tell us how, how they can follow you, how they can get in touch with you, how they can work with you. 
So right now I see clients for three months and six months, and you can find out more information about that on my website, which is myishabattle.com. I also have some additional offerings that are a little bit short term for folks that are stuck right now, but maybe don't want to commit to three or six months. I'm a practitioner on Maven. So if you go to mavenclinic.com, you can search for me and find me there. And those are like shorter appointments, but good for if you're in a pinch for sure. My writing and blog and podcast are all available at myeshabattle.com. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at myeshabattle. Like I mentioned earlier, I do a semi-monthly Q&A on my Instagram. So you're welcome to pop in questions in my story and I'll answer them. And if I may, I would like to make a request since, you know, I feel empowered to ask about things in my sex life, but sometimes I struggle to ask for things in my professional life. So I'm trying, trying to transfer those skills and I am looking for an agent. So if this information that I've been talking about is super interesting to you, or you know someone who would love to represent someone like Ma, please pass my information along. That's fantastic. I may your efforts be fruitful and I, I bet you. you've got some literary gems out there. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Well, wonderful. Okay. So listeners, please tune in next week. We will be talking about the 10 of cups with the amazing Rob Bresney, astrologer extraordinaire. I know you're going to want to hear that. So please do tune in. We can't wait to see you stay safe, stay healthy, stay inside. And we will see you next week. Between the Worlds is hosted by Amanda Yates Garcia and produced by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs with editing help from Jiha Lee. Our podcast icon is created by Maria Minnis, aka Tiny Parsnip, links in the show notes. And our font is created by Leah Hayes. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please consider leaving us a sweet review and or posting your favorite parts. You can tag us at Oracle of LA or Between the Worlds podcast. Thank you.